When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brett Rutherford, and we are coming off a great outing from Drew Rasmussen. Nearly threw a perfect game, took it into the eighth before Jorge Mateo of the Baltimore Orioles broke it up with a double to start the ninth. And joining me to talk about Drew Rasmussen's outing, what's been going on in Rays baseball, and what's been going down on the farm is D-Raise Bay senior writer Cole Mitchum. Cole, what's going on? Nothing much, man. Just uh, enjoying my Sunday, watching a little bit of some almost raised history today. Really exciting game. Love that they got that series win. But what's going on with you? I mean, it would have been it would have been baseball history tomorrow. Yeah. Like the day this comes out, August fifteenth, is the ten year anniversary of the last time a perfect game was thrown in the big leagues. It was Felix Hernandez throwing one against the Rays. First off, like that, it's been ten years since we've had a perfect game. And I know a lot of guys have gotten close. A lot of guys have brought it into the ninth inning. You had Clayton Kershaw perfect through seven before he was pulled in like his second start of the season earlier this year. Um, but to see Drew Rasmussen so so close and really looked the part too. You can never really have a lucky, perfect game. Um, you have some that have more luck than others, like Dallas Braden, I think only struck out two rays in his perfect game. A lot of Babbitt luck there for him. But Drew Rasmussen had the swing and miss stuff. He's able to generate soft contact, generate ground balls, do it really efficiently. That's the reason why he was in the game in the ninth inning. He entered with what, like 79 pitches? I think so. The pitch count to me was really, it was almost unbelievable. How, like how many six pitch, eight pitch innings that he just kept firing. It was it was awesome to watch. And, and you, you see him coming into the ninth inning and you look at the, the bottom three guys in the Orioles lineup and the Orioles having a great season. They were they were in a playoff spot as you know as, as early as a couple of days ago, um, but the the bottom three in their lineup, much like it is with the Rays lineup, uh, not a lot of threatening bats down there, including their number nine hitter, who was formerly the, the Rays' number nine hitter, in Brett Phillips. Um, that would have been uh, that would have been an interesting at bat, right? Drew Rasmussen one one at bat away from from perfection, and he's got to face everyone's favorite player, Brett Phillips. I know, right? It almost makes you wonder, like. Does Brett Phillip help out his old his old mates and and swing through a fastball or something? And that if it if it did come down to it, I know Mateo uh, led off the ninth with a double, but no, that was it was a really fantastic outing, and um, it's it's kind of sucks how it unfolded that way. But hey, everything you know everything worked out. It's not like we were all on the, the edge of our seat and Rasmussen had 125 pitches and we were all like wincing with every pitch. Like it was a, it was a smooth outing and, and it was just, it all unfolded really well. Yeah. Very clean outing for him. And Hey, he provided another save opportunity for uh, Jason Adam, right? You know, it's going to help his friend out in arbitration. He's got go. that extra save on his tally. That's that, that was his whole goal there. Um, but yeah, Drew Rasmussen, I kind of want to talk about him. So, you know, the discussion this year has been about Jeffrey Springs and the race turning him from a reliever to starter. Now, Drew Rasmussen was kind of a starter here and then in his time in the minor leagues, was a starter at Oregon State. 
and then came over to the Rays as kind of a multi-ending reliever. Well, they looked at the stuff he had, and they, they, they looked at what they were working with, and they thought, oh, why can't we turn him into a starter as well? And that's exactly what they did last year, and he's been lights out, really, since that happened this year, carrying a sub-three ERA. Um, he's, he's probably thrown more innings this year than, than I would have even expected him to get close to. And he's been, um, did, he did have an IL stint, but, uh, it was a very minor one. He's been very consistent. What, what are your thoughts on Drew Rasmussen and, and the performance he's been able to, to put on this season? Rasmussen has, has impressed me in almost every facet of his game. I, I would, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and say that I expected, expected all of this although he was great last year when he was moved into the starting rotation there was there were some red flags when he first moved into the um into the rotation he was still getting hit pretty hard even though he was succeeding um and i I think even some Rays officials have quotes like on the record on some articles saying like they weren't even really sure why he was getting hit so hard so um it 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 was interesting and and i really didn't have much of an idea on how his arsenal was going to uh, progress and how he was going to come out and look this year um i thought it was reasonable to even expect maybe he would go into some like two or three inning um fireman role out of the bullpen or or something i just really didn't know how this year was going to play out for him and he's just kind of exceeded mine and it seems like just about everyone's expectations and um yeah, it's it's just been a treat to watch. Just a, a really effective, efficient guy with multiple plus pitches. His pitches have gotten better over time, um, and you can really see it all working on Sunday. And that fastball, keeping that velocity deep into the game. Um, he's now at 99 and two-thirds innings. He's not a high strikeout guy by today's standards. Uh, he still strikes out 20% of batters as a starter, you know, with the amount of ground balls he gets. But, yeah, I mean, you look, he gets hit hard. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. You think, okay, well, why does he have a career three one five ERA, and that's been a lot better as a starting pitcher? Um, you know what, what what's going on here? But I think he is an interesting case study. Um, he does have swing and miss stuff. It just doesn't always come through. I, I don't. I, I think that's kind of a, a mystery to me. Um, but this year, you know, he's got a a two eight ERA. Um, and, the, and the peripherals, you know, back that up. 336 FIP, 368 Um, Yeah, he maybe has a little bit of bad luck this year, but overall just a really solid, you know, middle of the rotation starting pitcher, which usually, you know, to be able to, I saw Mike Petriello tweet this out today. The Willie Adamas trade is, is, is a, a, as much of a win-win like for both sides, as, as as you can get in the big leagues, right? And you look what, so the Rays got uh, J.P. Fireisen and Drew Rasmussen, and Fireisen's been great when he's been healthy, uh, maybe the best reliever that the Rays have when everyone is fully healthy. Um, you look at Drew Rasmussen, who's turned into a starter. Willie Adamas got like MVP votes last year after he went to Milwaukee as a shortstop. Um, he's turned into a real like power bat for Milwaukee. Then they flipped Trevor Richards to Rowdy Telez, who stayed with their team a lot longer than I thought he would. It just feels like it worked out. The timing was right. Everyone kind of needed a new change of scenery, and it's worked out for all parties involved. Yeah, absolutely. And and one fascinating thing about that trade when it happened last year, um, it it you know Eric Neander had some quotes on some different podcasts where he talked about how they internally thought that Rasmussen's command was actually better than his present walk rates were indicating, and they, they, I think what they did is they kind of saw a pitcher who was being 
underutilized in his current role. I think the Brewers were mostly using him in one inning stints out of the bullpen. He was kind of struggling with walks. I think they just saw a really good athlete and a guy with command better than he was showing and and just a, a multiple quality arts, uh, weapons to, to deliver. And they just kind of saw like a, a complete package of a pitcher, a starting pitcher, MLB caliber one, just kind of rotting away in another team's bullpen. Um, and kudos to them for like identifying that, all of those components to, to a, an exciting pitcher like that and actually executing on their game plan and, and really crafting a you know a, a really good big league pitcher and um you know it's it's just been great to watch the development and there could be even another level for him you know if he will unlock some more strikeouts somehow you know however that may be i mean this guy could be uh this guy could be one of the better arms in the in the whole american league here soon it goes back to the, you know when, when they scouted him and drafted him out of oregon state this is a guy they've liked for a long time and they can be quite bullish over prospects and players that they think they see something in. I think Rasmussen is case in point. They tried getting him out of Oregon State, didn't work out with the medicals, but they turned around and traded their franchise shortstop to get him you know, a year ago, and, and, and it's worked out really well. Uh, another pitcher that um, we got to talk about, Shane McClanahan, who was the American League starter at the All-Star game. Um, he's putting together one of the most impressive seasons in franchise history. Uh, but the last few starts, uh, he did well against Baltimore, but the last few starts hasn't been the same type of uh, Shane McClanahan performance we had become accustomed to seeing in the first half of the season. Uh, you you know, not getting the strikeouts as much, getting hit a little bit harder. Now, Cole, I've got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm a little worried. Not that his season's going to implode, not that he's going to fall off a cliff, but that, the guy that we were able to you know, rely on every fifth day to just honestly be lights out isn't going to be there for the rest of the season. Can you kind of uh, you know, calm me down a little bit? Give me a reason to, to not be worried. Yeah, um, you know, it's, it's definitely worth noting. Um, he doesn't quite look the same um, these last few outings as he did in his first half. And I think that that is really, it's probably a combination of things. The first being his first half was so dominant and so impression uh, impressive that we almost maybe should have all collectively kind of expected a, a little bit of regression just on that front. I mean, even you know, even if he was the same exact pitcher, he probably a little bit poor results would have followed just because he, he was incredible. Like, you know, just keeping the earned runs down. His, his ERA was like under two for the majority of the season. Um, and so I think we're maybe just seeing a tiny bit of regression on that front, but also um, I think it is fair to maybe question if his stuff has taken a bit of a decline. His velocity is down like slightly. It's not, it's not anything uh, crazy though. Um, maybe the sharpness of some of his breaking pitches isn't quite the same. And that might tie back into uh, possibly a little bit of fatigue. Um, he's already, uh, Matt, he's already topped his career high in innings and he's, um, he, he, you know, we, he may might not come out and tell you that, but we might be at a point where it's time to maybe scale back on his innings a bit, um, you know, kind of get him out earlier in games just so he's fresh for the stretch run because, yeah, um, he's just he's kind of at an unfamiliar point and somewhere he's never been before. The innings thing is interesting. For a while, he was like near the top. and For, for a little bit, he was actually atop the American League leaderboard in innings pitched. And we like to talk about a lot – uh, Rays, Kevin Cash, and the way they run things, limiting pitchers' innings. You know, you, so much so that people felt the need to like publicly 
you know, applaud Kevin Cash for letting Drew Rasmussen pitch the ninth at 79 pitches today. I mean, people are like, oh, wow, thank God Kevin Cash let him do that. He was at 79 pitches. Uh, and the fact that people, like, felt the need to say something about that uh, kind of shows the race track record. But we saw this with Tyler Glass now, too. Before he went down, the Rays let him run. And when you've got guys where the third time through the order penalty really doesn't apply to them, it was like that with Glass now, uh, with, with Morton a little bit, and now with McClanahan, where like on the other side, Blake Snell was was not. He had a big, pretty big third time through the order penalty. Um, so more of his innings management was not necessarily about his arm health. It was about making sure he's an effective pitcher. Um, but McClanahan has been able to roll through the lineup, turn it over, you know, two or three times, and and because of that, his innings have have gone up, and the Rays have needed that to kind of stay afloat in the postseason race. Uh, so now you get to a point where that postseason race is still really tight. You know, they they gave some, themselves some breathing room against Baltimore. They've got a game and a half lead uh, over the the next two teams that are trying to get that third wild card spot. So it's tough. How do you limit McClanahan's innings? You've already got a taxed bullpen, a bullpen that's trying to get healthy too. Someone's got to provide you with those innings. And it feels like, I won't say mismanagement, but I would have rather seen those innings be limited in April, May, and June rather than trying to figure it out in July, August, and September. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think the, you know, one thing that people listening to this might immediately think is like, oh, why don't, why don't they go to a six-man rotation or something like that? Well, to counter that, I would say MLB actually enforced a rule that makes it quite difficult to do a six-man rotation. They put a cap on the number of pitchers you can have on your roster, um, and that is now only 13 pitchers are able to be carried. So if you allot six of those slots to starting pitchers, well, then you're already, you know, you're down to seven in the bullpen. So then your bullpen guys are getting tacked higher, and it's just a more complicated equation. Um, so maybe they could have... Uh, they could do some things where they call a guy up for a spot start and then send him back down to Durham. And, you know, the razor, the razor masters at the, the roster manipulation and the, the Durham shuttle and all of that. So, um, you know, they might get a little bit creative in that front, but yeah, I don't think it's very simple to just say like, you know, there's just no easy answer. Like we we're just going to do a six man rotation or we're just only going to let Shane go five innings or whatever simple solution that you might think initially it's, it's a more complex issue than that. Um, and yeah, it'll, it'll just be interesting to follow how they, how they run with it. Um, from here on out, because yeah, like, uh, Shane is Shane is a huge part. If this team can get into the postseason, he'll be a huge, huge part to their their chances to winning that first series. And by the All Star break, Shane McClanahan was, I mean, I think the the kind of clear consensus leader, odds on favorite to win the American League Cy Young award. And just after a few starts in the second half, um, he's kind of fallen off from that pace. You got guys like Justin Verlander, Dylan Cease. Uh, Kevin Gosman is still the um, leader at F4 for pitchers, and I, 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 I'm not a, entirely sure how Fangraphs calculates pitcher war, and I don't know if I agree with it. Um, but do you think there's any way for McClanahan to get to kind of get back? He's in the race, but to get back on top of that race and, and potentially win what would be the third Cy Young in franchise history? I think he's got a chance, and I know he's talented enough to do it. However, like we were talking about with his innings, I don't know if he'll have the volume to quite be there at the end of the season when it's said and all done, just because those guys that you mentioned, especially a Gosman and a Verlander, 
I mean, these are veterans who've been doing it for for years, for decades. Um, you know, the, the ma their managers are not going to scale down on those pitchers' usage. Cease is still fairly young, but um, I think even he he maybe has like a 180 inning season under his belt now. Um, so I don't I don't see Larusa really slowing him down either. Um, and I do think McClan will get up there innings wise. So you know, it'll it'll probably take a really special run for him. Um, on the quality front, because I'm not sure he'll get the uh, the quantity that those guys will have at the end of the year. And, and the way I kind of see this race unfolding is that you've got to be markedly better than Justin Verlander to win the Cy Young. You know, it's voted on by the writers. And, you know, I'll admit, like, it is a really cool story to see him come back from this age and do what he's done. Because when it was announced he was getting Tommy John surgery, it was at, like, the end of the 2020 season, which, like... You means he was going to be out for all of 2021. A lot of people thought his career was over. You know, to come back at that age, he already had a Hall of Fame career. And to, to, to put out a season like this, you know, that's going to get, the, the, the writers are going, to, are going to eat that out. And so for McClanahan, he's got a 2-2-8 ERA right now with 134 and a third innings pitched, which is only an inning and two-thirds less than Verlander. But Verlander has got a 1-8-5 ERA. Now, he strikes out less batters. He does walk less batters. Uh, but the peripherals kind of back up his numbers. I just feel like you're going to have to finish with a better ERA and a lot better numbers than Verlander to get close. Because I do think he's going to get that that extra that extra you know vote push for being Justin Verlander and doing what he's doing at 38 years old. Yeah, it's fair to say. Absolutely. Can't really, uh, can't really argue that. So we'll just have to... Um have to hope that Shane can, you know, can stay fully healthy and, and can get back to his dominant self. I think that, you know, maybe his next start, he goes out there, seven shutout and strikes out 12 or something and just shuts us up. You know, we'll just hope for that. <laughs> Probably. And I, I like the way he battled against Baltimore. This oh, weekend. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's not something he usually has to do. Uh, usually batters are just have to try to figure out ways to get on base and make contact with his nasty stuff. And they were able to do that against Baltimore. And he gave up those two early runs, but settled in. And, and really kind of managed his way through that game, had to you know, change up his pitch usage a little bit, which was really impressive. He was facing adversity. And it's like the last time we really saw Shane McClanahan face adversity was that ALDS last year in his outings against Boston. Uh, and that one in Fenway Park where you see him throw, throw the chair down the, down the hallway. This year it's been kind of smooth sailing. And so I, I am, I'm, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like losing hope. McClanahan's going to be, you know, fall apart in the second half. I'm a little worried. I'm a little worried at the innings. Um, but if he, if, if, he, if, uh, do you think he's going to be a finalist for the Scion? I think that's kind of the question we can end this on. Will he I be do. in the top three? Okay. I think, I think he'll get on a run. I think he'll, uh, I think he'll start looking like his, his, uh, early, early season self. I, I think that, um, I don't see a ton of big red flags. I just, um, it's just the usage thing for me at this point, but I think he'll, I think he'll be right back there. Yeah. I'm, I'm thinking Verlander, Cease, McClanahan, and, and, and Gosman would be that fourth. And I don't think Gosman is going to pass McClanahan and Cy Young voting by the end of the year. And let's hope not. Alec Manoa is still kicking around there as well. So uh, let's take a quick break. And on the other side, we've got Cole on the show. So it's only right that we talk some Rays prospects. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We're going to talk some prospects. And, you know, we talked about this when it happened, but one of the big moves the Rays made at the deadline was acquiring center fielder Jose Siri from the Houston Astros. In return, they sent Houston two right-handed pitching prospects, Jaden Murray, um, who was, you know, a nice, you know, solid prospect in the Rays system. Um, but w- the more interesting piece in this trade was right-handed pitcher Seth Johnson. And depending on who you ask, behind Shane Boz and Taj Bradley, Seth Johnson might have been the best pitching prospect in the system coming into this season. But Cole, bit of a caveat there on kind of what Seth Johnson is and, and where he fits into the Rays organization prior to this trade. Yeah, I I don't think that you should see this trade and think, oh, the Rays must have been low on Seth Johnson or, you know, they were trying to get rid of him and all this stuff. I don't really think this trade is saying that. I think it's more about the logistics of um, Seth Johnson's timeline, which kind of forced the Rays hand here. And what I mean when I say that is. So to start off, Seth Johnson, like you said, is a very talented pitching prospect. Um, he's pretty new to starting pitching. He's got big time stuff. Um, most write-ups and uh, scouting reports you're going to read, they, they kind of praise his arsenal. Um, he, he's got a really, really loud pitch mix. Um, the issue is he was dealing with, I believe, some forearm uh, tightness this year. And ultimately, I think they decided um, to go the Tommy John route. But um, he didn't actually get Tommy John at the beginning of this year. I think he just got it recently, like this week or something like that. So what that does is that ends his 2022 uh, season. That also more or less ends his 2023 season. So then he, you're kind of looking at 2024 when he is ready to come back and pitch. And at that point, he's a little bit on the older side and he's only pitched in a ball. So you're probably looking at a guy who starts 2024 in AA, probably has to spend that entire season in the minors. And then not really till 2025 is when he actually kind of looks like a guy who might impact a big league roster. And the biggest part of all of this is this entire time. So I kind of just laid that out as a three-year window. You have to keep him on your 40-man roster or else you're you're going to lose him in the rule five draft. He, this winter is when he's eligible to be picked in that draft. So um, really from a timing perspective, it made a lot of sense for the Rays to, uh, to trade a good, a good, you know, exciting pitcher uh, like Seth Johnson, because it just isn't realistic for a contending team like the Rays to hold a guy on their 40 man roster for three entire years while getting no, no major league value from him. So um, that, I think that is sort of the thinking behind this deal. Because once you put a guy on your 40-man and you have to 60-day him, 60-day IL him, if he's got Tommy John and is going to miss next year, his Major League Service clock starts. So he'd be gaining Major League Service time through all of next year. And then, like you said, by the time he's big league ready, he's going to be in arbitration almost. Yeah, so right. you look at a team like Baltimore that uh, they're kind of rebuilding – maybe they add him, maybe they take a chance and they, they don't add him and he doesn't get picked. And if he does, we'll see if the other team decides to, you know, keep him on their roster. So an interesting move, an interesting three team. There was the, the Trey Mancini trade. I think I also keep forgetting that too, is that uh, that was the deal that, that Houston got their first baseman in. They had been kind of, a ta- uh, you know, there were G man Troy's name had been mentioned with the Houston Astros. Um, and, and that was ultimately, you know, the trade that ended up happening with the Rays getting Jose Siri. 
Cole, I'm kind of curious, before we dive into the rest of the Rays farm system, what are your thoughts on Jose Siri? Jose Siri has made a a big impact in center field already, just from the games that I've watched. He's he's made some outstanding plays, some some Kiermaier-esque routes out in center field. And I think that he, I think that the Rays really just saw kind of like an athletic freak almost, like a guy who can really run and really play center at like, I believe um, Eric Neander has a quote after they acquired him of saying that he is right up there or maybe the best center fielder that their internal measures have in all of baseball. Um, and anytime a guy like that is available via trade, I mean, that is something that, that quite frankly, most teams in the league should probably explore. So um, the Rays are looking at a guy who, sure, he has his warts. He has some pretty major questions with the bat. Um, and I think that we've kind of already seen that as Rays fans. Um, there are some contact concerns, some um, out of the strike zone chase concerns. Um, but this is a guy with massive power, with massive athleticism, um, and just a guy who's really going to impact the game on all sides of the ball. So, um, you know, if, if he can just kind of figure out a way to to, um, to stay afloat with the bat and pop you an occasional big home run and, and booming extra base hits where he's smack, smacking him in the gap, running and getting triples and things like that. You know, I think that this guy's got a really good chance to be an exciting player for the race and, uh, and somebody who's really, who's, who's young, who's controllable. Um, I, you know, I think that the race are kind of betting that they, they found a, a long-term answer in center field here. And yeah. And to, to trade just two pitching prospects and, you know, we talked about what Seth Johnson, what he's dealing with to get a center fielder with so many years of control when you're dealing with, Kevin Kiermeyer, who's got you know one you know, a team option left, which is almost certainly going to be declined. You've got Brett Phillips, who, as much as we love him and as great as he was in the field, you know he's up there in that top tier with a Jose Siri. He's getting you know into arbitration, and he's been a comically bad hitter. Uh, it just really hasn't. Uh, last year, I know he had a, he had a great year statistically, but I, I kind of was was skeptical of those numbers. Jose Siri, I don't think he, he he's probably going to be a below average league hitter, but he's got that pop. He's got that ability to impact games. The Rays have showed that they're okay with high strikeout numbers. And Jose Siri has incredibly high strikeout numbers. He has his entire career, really. He did well in AAA this year, but before that, his the last time he had a strikeout rate less than 30% was in 2018 in high A. And so this guy, and that was, it was 25% then. So this guy does strike out a lot. He does have some pop. He's also a little bit older. He's 27. So you're getting him those controllable years in hypothetically the prime of his career, right? Position players, it's typically like 27 to 32. That's going to be the years the Rays can control him for. Seems like really good business. Yeah, I I love it. I, I, you know, I love any time that you can get a, a player who has that unique of a skill set. Um, and in doing so, they traded a player who it made sense to trade. Um, you know, that that seems like a that seems like a deal that I'm sure the front office felt really satisfied with. I, I think that they're coming out feeling really good about that. And, um, you know, if Siri doesn't light the world on fire right away, I think that's he has more than enough tools that will allow the Rays to be patient with him. Yeah. Definitely. Well, let's move into some of the, the guys that are still in the Rays farm system. Um, it's, it's been an interesting year. Um, some injuries here and there, but some guys coming back from injury. I want to talk about the pitchers. Have there been any pitchers this year that have really stuck out to you that 
maybe you weren't, you know, looking into that much when the season started, but they, they, they've put themselves on your radar. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the, the names who really has popped this year um, is a left-handed starter by the name of Mason Montgomery. Uh, he was picked in the sixth round of the draft last season out of Texas Tech. And he has just done nothing but just shove since he has gotten into this raised organization. The strikeouts are super high. Um, the walks are kept in check. I mean, people are just not finding the barrel or finding hits in general against him. He has one of the highest strikeout rates among all starters in minor league baseball right now. Um, and he, he wasn't really like touted as a, a as a high strikeout like you know, beast like out of college or anything like that, at least to my knowing. Um, but clearly the race saw something there in his, in his arsenal and he has gone into the system and, and really just exploded. Um, and just for a little bit more detail on him, from what I've read on, on scouting reports, it looks like he is, uh, he mostly works in the low, maybe, maybe to mid at max nineties for this four seam um, and gets good ride on that pitch. That's something that's common with many pitch in the Rays uh, organization. Um, and then he's also looks like he works with a changeup slider and curveball. I think he leans on that changeup uh, mostly. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing for neutralizing righties uh, who hit in the other uh, other handedness. And, um, yeah, two breaking balls that he can go to against lefties. So pretty well-rounded pitching prospect there. And, um, uh, yeah, looks like a guy who might rise through the system real quick. Definitely, definitely. And, the, you know, he's still getting the strikeouts. He was just recently promoted to double A last month. And, uh Still getting the strikeouts. Does have, I think, some command concerns for uh, a starting pitcher. But this guy, you know, he's still only 22 years old. He's still, you know, he's settling into double A. I think he'll, you know, finish the year there. And then kind of the Rays can look at where he's at and probably start the year at double A next year. But a, a really solid prospect. Any other pitchers on the positive note that you wanted to bring up? Um, one other one other name uh, from last year's draft class, actually. I mean, Honestly, since I'm mentioning the draft class, the the early returns on the 2021 draft class in general, hitters, pitchers, um, just kind of all of it has been really good so far. The the Rays looked like they they did really well in that draft, kind of the front end of it and the back end. But um, one of the guys who was kind of picked in the back half of that draft was Austin Vernon. Um, and he's having a, a real nice year of his own. He he's a huge right-hander. Um, he's I think he's six seven listed on on most sites, and he's got like this long hair, and he's just kind of like a, a crazy like madman coming out on the mound. But um, he throws hard, and I think he's got a good three pitch mix. I think it's four seam um, slider change, and um, yeah, like Montgomery, he's just the strikeouts have been high, the performance has been great. Just kind of looks like a solid. Um, solid workhorse uh, down in, in the low minors for the Rays right now. So definitely another name to keep an eye on as he, as the years go by. Yeah. It's interesting. He was pitching uh, out of the bullpen in a ball, but was, you know, working like three, four, five innings, either that or fan graphs has his stats wrong. Um, but then at high, a has been getting started. I, I don't know. Do you know if I'm, if I'm, if I'm right on that or if I think that, I think that, on some of the box scores and stuff, I did see him coming out on relief, but he was going like four innings in relief. So maybe it was just okay. a situation where they had too many length arms for, for spots and, and that's how they were using him or something. Yeah, that's, that's very much possible. Uh, and now at a, in high A, he's getting starts and, and, and doing, doing really well. Again, still that strikeout stuff. He's got to settle in at the higher level, but he's still young. He's six foot eight is what fan graphs has him listed at six, eight, two sixty five, uh, with a 60 grade fastball and a 50 grade slider. So good stuff there and interested to see 
kind of how he pans out. Now, I also want to see if there's any pitchers maybe that have disappointed you this year. Is there anybody that you thought was going to take the next step up that has struggled in their development? Uh, you know, one one name. I don't I don't actually know if he still counts as a prospect. I think he might, honestly, um, is uh, Brendan McKay. Um, and that's a name that the most Rays fans are familiar with. He debuted in 2019, and, and he really he's just had a really tough luck over these last few years. A number of different injuries have kept coming up. And, um, you know, I really thought that the 2020 would be a year where we would at least see a lot of him, whether that be, you know, no, no matter where, what level that was going to be at. I, I was just looking forward to him getting back out there and, um, and pitching again and just being healthy. And, um, you know, he's finally now back and it's kind of taken the whole season for him to get back onto the mound. Um, I think he's made some appearances in low A, but um, even some of those appearances haven't, haven't been all that great. So, um, I'm just kind of at the point where I think it's fair to question what, uh, what Brendan McKay's future really is in this organization. Um, and, and it will be interesting to see what happens this winter to see if they keep trying to, uh, find ways to make, to make, uh, room for him on the 40 man roster, because, uh, it's a, it's a deep roster and, and, you know, some, some people have to have to be casualties at some point. So well, I think that's, this is a good opportunity to talk about that, that 40 man roster, in that roster crunch. I mean, we mentioned Seth Johnson and kind of what led to his trade, but there are a ton of other guys and some of the prospects that have even come up this year and disappointed where the Rays are going to have to make some some tough decisions. Or maybe maybe they're not that tough with the performances that we've seen on the field. Like, let's talk about Vidal Bruhan, who this is his, this is his last option year. He's going to be out of options next year. What do the Rays do? With a guy like that who has not proven himself at all in the big leagues. Yeah, that's a that's a really fair question. Um, and you know, it's also interesting that they could have made room for Vidal Bruhan on this big league roster for the last couple months. Um, they claimed a guy, uh, Yu Chang, to kind of take his role. And um, you know, they signed a, a Roman Quinn to be a backup outfielder. So I think that those moves do they do say something that they they are kind of valuing. Um, you know, proven big leaguers who kind of over over Bruhan in the big leagues at the, at least at this point. Now that also has to do a little bit with wanting Bruhan to get every day at bats down in AAA. You know, that part makes a ton of sense. But yeah, I definitely think it's fair to question what exactly his role is going to be next year because um, Bruhan kind of plays in that utility role, and that is kind of the perfect player that would require options. You know, so I'm not really sure how much value a utility player with zero options is going to. Uh, is going to be for the Rays. And, you know, one, one more point that I'll make on this is the Rays have a number of infielders who need to be added to the 40 man roster um, prospects in their system right now. And all of those guys are going to, you know, to have options. They're going to be playing in the upper minors. So, um, you know, we'll take a guy like Xavier Edwards, for example, um, a, a second base prospect who needs to be added to the 40 man this, this uh, off season. And, you know, maybe, Maybe the Rays, you know, I'm not exactly sure how they think of Edwards compared to Bruhan. You know, whoever is better, whoever is worse, you know, take your pick. But the point of the matter is Edwards could maybe be more flexible and be more useful to you during a pennant race when you need to kind of send guys up and then demote them when other guys that get healthy and kind of the whole logistics of working a roster during the season. So, um, yeah, I think it's question. I think it's a fair question to ask about Bruhan's role um, and for his for fans who have kind of been clamoring for, oh, you know, just throw him in a trade and use him to do this and trade him here. And, you know, 
you know, it's not that easy because if, if he's kind of losing value as we're talking about now to the Rays, you know, how much value are other teams really seeing in his profile too, right? So I think it's fair to wonder exactly how much uh, he could even really return in trade. And yeah, I think he's definitely a player to watch. And it's like, yeah, what, what value does he have? I mean, do we know what his position is? Is he, he can play shortstop and he looked good when he did in the big leagues. We've always kind of thought he could be a center fielder, but is he is he end up going to be a second baseman, a right fielder? I mean, does a right, a right fielder that can hit? Like, does he have any value, not only for the Rays but for for any big league team? I'm kind of struggling to see it. And I, I still think there is a good baseball player in there somewhere. So, it, but it's tough when not only do you have these prospects coming up, you've got like 11 guys on the 60 day IL that have to be added once the season's over. And that's including, you know, guys like Tyler Glass now and Shane Boz and Andrew Kittredge and, J- and JP Fireisen, like guys that, are, that you think if Tyler Glass now is not traded, you know, those guys are going to have futures with the Rays big league team. There's a lot of moves that need to be made. And of course, when those move, you know, you could start by DFAing Yu Chang and Roman Quinn and guys like Luke Rayleigh. Who knows what Christian Bethencourt's going to be moving forward. Got G-Man Choi, who's only got one year left of control. It will work itself out, but it's hard when you're not a guy that is Rule 5 eligible. Bruhan, you know, he's on the 40-man now, but you got these prospects coming up, these big leaguers that need to be added back, and he just feels like one of those that's going to be an odd man left out. There's not going to be a spot for him. Yeah, I, it's, that's a fair assessment, absolutely. And I, I'll ask you a question here. Um, given this scenario that the Rays are in now, would you go as far to say that they possibly mismanaged um, kind of the roster and some of these prospects like a Vidal Brujan and like a Josh Lowe maybe a year or two ago? Would that have maybe been a better time to get more in trade? Or do you think that playing it out, trying kind of trying to see how they develop and then make the call was kind of the smarter thing to do. It's hard to say when you don't know exactly what was going on in trade conversations. Absolutely. I know yeah. Josh Lowe was a name we kind of expected that it might be the, the time when he gets moved. But if the Rays didn't get the offer in, I, my biggest take has been that they over relied on those young players this season. I know the injuries kind of exacerbated that. When you've got for you know for a month, you had Taylor Walls and Vidal Bruhan starting every day, and Josh Lowe in there. Now that wasn't the plan, but hey, injuries happen. You got to prepare for injuries, and when you move on from guys, and I'll even say Austin Meadows, and I'm not the biggest Austin Meadows fan, but guys like Austin Meadows and Joey Wendell that were playing in Taylor Walls and Josh Lowe's role on the big league roster, it's a lot to rely on on rookies and young players, and they don't always work out. More often than not, they don't work out. Um, so yeah, but I don't know what, maybe other teams could look at Josh Lowe's swing, you know, his, he strikes out a lot, you know, other teams see that too. What was his value to them? The Dal Bruhan's always been an undersized utility player. He's hitting the minors, but what proof do we have that he can do that in the majors? These guys haven't had a ton of value and while they might have value internally as a prospect, I'm not knocking down, you know, trying to knock down the raised door to trade for these guys. So I don't say they mismanaged it, but I think a lot of times, like, and Josh Lowe, I'm not, I'm not out on him. I'm not out on Vidal Brujan either. These guys could go on to have fine major league careers, but given where the Rays are now, not only do you have guys coming back, like, you want to be able to add better players. Like, you want to get better in the offseason, free agency trades. Like, 
you know, you, they're not going to bend over backwards to find the last roster spot for Vidal Brujan next year. It just doesn't seem likely. I, I agree with you too. And I think that this conversation would just have a little bit of a different tone if like Bruhan kind of came up and just, just held his own even now, you know, not even, not even did great, but you know, if he was able to just, you know, a little show a little more value, you know, if he was on the roster still, instead of a Quinn, instead of a Chang, you know, if he showed enough to convince the Rays that, yeah, we can actually rely on this guy, even in just a utility role down the stretch, you know, then, you know, then, then we don't ask these questions. Like, should they have traded him two years ago? Because, you know, they made the bet and he, you know, and he's doing okay, but it's just kind of unfortunate how, um, how a lot of these guys are kind of struggling at the same time when the Rays needed them the most, you know, it's kind of like a combination of a lot of things that just didn't quite go their way. And um, yeah, I'm kind of with you. I don't, I don't know if they truly like mismanaged it or anything, but just a little kind of an unfolding of unfortunate circumstances. And it's tough too, when you're a competing team that had the number one farm system in baseball, Exactly. those things don't usually happen where most teams with the number one farm system are in the middle of a rebuild where you say, okay, we'll bite the bullet. Taylor Walls, Vidal Bruhan, Josh Lowe, you guys are going to play every day and go through those rookie, you know, growing pains, which happens to almost every player. Happened to Wander Franco last year for a couple of weeks uh, before he, you know, went on that on base streak. And he, he struggled again this year. But usually the teams that have this, this just surplus of prospects are in a position where they're not competing for a postseason spot. And they say, all right, we're going we're gonna to go through this year, let you guys work through it, so by next year when we're getting ready to compete, you guys have big league experience. And the Rays can't afford to do that. That's why they're kind of in the position they're in now is because they've had to rely on these young players and these mercenaries they brought in, like Yu Chang and Roman Quinn, to try to keep them in the playoff spot while they're waiting on you know, Manuel Margot and Wander Franco and some of the pitchers that are on the IL. So... It's just a tough situation. It's hard. It's also really hard to break into a team that this, that's this good, a team that won 100 games last year. Um, fans are always going to overrate prospects, and I, I think, you know, Vidal Bruhan is kind of the, the best case. Of that. It's hard to be an everyday player on the Rays because the Rays are damn good. Yep. Agreed. Agreed on all fronts. Let's uh, let's let's get, keep talking about prospects before we get a break. Uh, you know, position player side of things. Who, who has stuck out to you this season um, in the minors? You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead here and um, talk about a first base prospect named Kyle Manzardo. Um, and this guy, um, he was picked in last year's draft too. And I think he came out of Washington State. Um, he is a, a first base only profile. So you know, right off the bat, you kind of know what you're getting. You know, a lot of the race prospects we talk about. You know, where are they gonna move? What position are they gonna change? Infield, outfield, all this stuff. No, Manzardo is just a first base only. Um, and what is so intriguing about Manzardo is everything about him as a hitter. I mean, this guy has basically everything you could you could ask for going for him. He he controls his strikeouts. His his whiff weights are are very low. His from what we can tell, his chase rates, chasing pitches out of the zone, are most likely low. I don't think we have minor league data that gets that granular, but his walk rates are very high. Um, so he probably controls um, the strike zone when it comes to um, pitches in and out of the zone. And um, his power output has been fantastic. He hits from the left side of the plate, so he has the platoon advantage more often than not. 
And um, he had a ton of homers in high A, and he just recently was promoted to, uh, promoted to double A, and I think he's just you know kicked it right off there, um, hitting more homers. And yeah, this is this is low strikeouts, high walks, high power, um, high bat bips even. So you know that kind of shows you that he's hitting the ball at good angles, line drives going the other way, things like that. I mean, and, and also he's pretty young for for a double A player too. I think he's uh, maybe just turned 22 or so, um, and. Yeah, like this is just the profile that I love, and um, I'll give you a little bit of a comp here. I'm not the I'm not the biggest comp guy, but uh-huh. um, you know I know I know that sometimes they can be kind of exciting. Um, it's not a perfect physical comp. Um, I'm gonna comp him to a current big league first baseman, um, but statistically he looks a lot like a guy like Reese Hoskins did in the minor leagues. Um, you know, first baseman for the Phillies right now. A lot of similarities there. Just just a really good hitter everywhere. Um, and I think that yeah, there's a chance that, that the Rays might just be might be um, grooming a a left-handed hitting Reese Hoskins in their farm system right now. I mean, everything is pointing to that at this point. I don't know if the power is quite there. When I say comp, I'm more talking about just their 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 makeup as a player, not mm. necessarily success on the field. Mm. But like, what about like an Anthony Rizzo or mm. even like even like a Joey Votto? Just like really good control of the strike zone. Has you know has power. I don't know if Manzardo has that much power. I mean, he did it 17 home runs in 63 games at high A this year. Like he tore the cover off the ball. We'll see if that continues as he works his way up through the minors. Um, but I just look at, you know, his, his his strikeout and walk ratio, and it's just – it's incredible. And I know it's at a very low level of the minor leagues. You want to see him do it at double-A AA and triple-A and then eventually the big leagues. And being a first baseman is going to limit his, you know, his profile, right? It's going to limit how much value you can get out of him. But if the guy hits, like, you got to have a first baseman. would rather have one that hits. Um, and so Manzardo is one, like – I was I was intrigued when they got him out of Washington State. I wasn't, you know, saying this guy is going to be the next big leaguer. I don't, in my opinion, there's there's no such thing as a good first base prospect. Um, that's normally my opinion. I say that in general. I'm not to say you know not to to rag on Manzardo, but the guy can truly hit. I know it's only been 19 plate appearances at Double A, but it's been more of the same. 421 on base percentage already has a home run. Uh, it looks just really solid, and I'm 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 really excited. I'm glad you you brought him up because I know he's been kind of a fan favorite too on Twitter for for the Rays fans that that follow prospects. Uh, anyone else on the positive side before we rag um, on someone? <laughs> uh, you know, one name I'll mention um, is uh, Cameron Meisner, um, okay. an outfielder uh, who I believe is at Double A right now. He was acquired in the Joey Wendell trade uh, last offseason. He started off the year pretty cold, um, a lot of strikeouts, and um, you know he he. I don't think he really found his footing when he first got into the Rays organization. But lately, if you kind of look at his last month, or his last two months, um, his his stats are off the charts. This guy is hitting for big power, um, taking a ton of walks. And on top of that, he is, by all accounts, a kind of like a a really athletic center field prospect. Um, he's like big, like six four, I believe. But but most most people think that he can kind of handle center with ease. Um, so this is just a guy with the with a you know really athletic player with a lot of tools. Um, and kind of the the biggest flaw here is is the strikeouts, which you know that that is definitely that's definitely a big one um absolutely but you know as a guy with that many other skills i think that he's uh shaping up to be um you know to play some kind of big league role here and um it's worth noting he his uh 40 man time 
his rule five status is this winter. Um, and I, at this point, I, I do think that, that that looks like a player that the Rays will look to add. Um, it's tough because we don't really know how the roster is going to look um, next year. But um, at this point, I would say that he looks like a, a more likely add than, than not. Yeah. I, I, I've been down on the Joey Wendell trade, I guess kind of, I, I wasn't as down about it when it happened. But again, the way the season's played out, having to you know utilize Taylor Walls as much as they have, and some of these other guys, I would have loved to have a Joey Wendell on this team. Um, but 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 with with this prospect, I, I'm a little skeptical that he can play center. I'm thinking, which is fine. Like not, not everybody can be a center fielder. Uh, you can still be a very good player and not play in center. Uh, but even if he plays in right, yeah, we'll see if he hits. But Josh Low 2.0. I mean, I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's similar. It's, it's close. Strikes yeah. out a lot. Bigger frame. Looks very athletic. He's got the first round body, right? Um, but can he actually play like a first rounder? I don't know. I, I'm just I'm a little skeptical on this one, but it's good to see him as he's progressing now into double A. Um, he is a little bit old. I mean, he's 24, so now he's kind of right around a good spot, you know, for his age, given he he came out of college. Um, but I'm interested to see what he does, you know, the rest of the year in double A and then in 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 triple A, hopefully next year for him. So. Uh, any other prospects that have had a disappointing year and you're kind of unsure what the next step for them is? You know, one guy who um, I think has been a bit underwhelming to this point is Greg Jones, um, shortstop prospect who um, the Rays selected with their first round pick um, a couple years back. And Jones was a guy, if you kind of looked at Rays prospects list, this past offseason and even some top 100 lists, um, you'd actually find Jones on some top 100 lists um, at the uh, kind of the back half of those or, or towards the end. And a lot of the write-ups were similar. They would say like Jones hasn't like truly performed great yet, but his tools kind of make him a really good breakout pick. Like that was kind of like a, what a lot of prospect evaluators were saying. And, and given his age now, I believe he's 24 um, and playing at double A. That, that kind of breakout that people were, were hoping for or in some cases even expecting with the tools that he has, it just seems like it really hasn't quite happened yet. Um, and, you know, at, at a certain point, you have to kind of start to question, um, you know, how, how long are you going to wait, you know, for a guy like this? And like you were saying, the Rays are a really good team right now, and there's only so many spots on the field. So, um, and, and again, like Meisner, his uh, Rule 5 uh, status is this winter. So, um you know, do they do they add him to the roster and do they give him a whole year in Triple A to see if he can really bust through, or you know, is that a guy they they look to trade on on kind of a down season? You know, it's you know, I think he's just a name to watch, and I think that uh, this year probably hasn't uh, hasn't exactly gone how he or the Rays expected. Now I've got a question for you. I'm looking at roster resource right now on Fangraphs. They have him listed as a left-handed bat. You click on his profile, it still says switch hitter. It could be a typo, but is is he only hitting from the left side? I don't know if that's something you're aware of, or we might have to ask. I haven't, uh, I haven't watched any of his games this year. I, I, I'm, I know he definitely was switch hitting um, coming up in last year right, for sure. I, 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 think he, I think he's still switch hitting to my knowledge. I haven't okay. heard that. So that okay. yeah, must be an error on their end. Um, but yeah, you know, strikes out a lot. Obviously the ability to play either shortstop or center field is going to help him. But we were kind of talking about this before we started recording, and the Rays seem to have a type, right, in recent years. They go after these, and I don't think it's a bad strategy. You know, you see where they draft and how they sign international free agents. They're looking for, obviously, shortstops and center fielders. Those are the most athletic players at, you know, the amateur levels. And so you assume 
even if they're not good enough to stay at shortstop or center field in the professional level, in the big league level, they kind of, you know, move around the field and they find their spot somewhere else and they're athletic enough to do that, play that position well. But they're also, you know, going after these guys, these shortstop center field types that are like high speed. You look at a guy like Greg Jones, a guy like Xavier Edwards, um, the kid they drafted out of uh, Georgia Tech this year in, the, in the, one of the sandwich rounds. Um, some of these other players, Vidal Bruhan is another one. They, they, he was signed way back. Alika um, Williams. Alika Williams out of Arizona State, where they're, they're, they have virtually no power. Um, they have good bat-to-ball skills. But I am a little little skeptical. It's like these are the guys that are making up like a good chunk of your top 30 prospects. I mean, how many of the, those guys can you actually count on to hit at the big league level? And that's the ultimate goal, right? You want to turn these players into big leaguers or trade them and bring big league talent to your team. I'm a little skeptical now that that model is as, as much as they're leaning into it with these types of players. And they've got some other really great prospects. Like we need to talk about Taj Bradley and Curtis Mead, who, you know, after Shade Boz graduates, I think, I think those are the two guys race fans are, are most looking forward to. And Carson Williams, who's putting together a really good year this, this season Absolutely. to a first round draft pick from last year. Um, but you know, that, that, that class, right. The Vidal Bruhan, Xavier Edwards, Greg Jones, like these guys that are all similar in age, uh, that I, you know, are any of them going to turn into big leaguers? I'm, I don't know. Greg Jones does have some power. I will give him credit, right? but the strikeouts are really bad. Yeah. It's almost like you kind of feel like something has to give, right? Like, like, is there a universe where, Taylor Walls, Vidal Bruhan, Xavier Edwards, and Greg Jones are all on the 40 man roster next year, right? Like like can oh, you geez. have that can you have that many middle infield utility players on one like it just kind of at some point it's it's almost like a wasted spot, right? So yeah, um another player of this ilk is uh uh Slavis Basabi. Uh yes. sorry if I, I mispronounced his name there, but um, you know, that's actually a player who's a little bit on the other side. I think he's had a pretty good year. Um a little bit of an under the radar guy, but again, he is a uh, 40 man guy this winter. So, you know, are you adding him? Do you, do you add the guy who's actually performing pretty well, or do you add the guys with bigger tools, but aren't performing uh, very well? Um, so yeah, it's an interesting equation. I think that, um, I think it's fair to say we, we might see some roster action in that, in that zone and, and we might see some trades, some movement, uh, what have you. And I'm shocked that there wasn't more moving and shaking before the deadline, I think things kind of change. You're kind of showing your hands more at, you know, in the off season when everybody, I mean, everybody knows the Rays are going to be in a roster crunch anyways, but I feel like you've got some teams that are maybe not, not, you know, that are desperate to make moves happen at the deadline. And you might, you might've seen some more trades of a guy like an Edwards or a Bruhan or, or, or Greg Jones at the deadline. So it's going to be interesting. The Rays, they'll, they'll figure it out. And at the end of the day, if these guys are casualties to the, you know, to the roster crunch, I think the the Rays will still be fine. And there are still another class of guys that are working their way up through the system. And if you only have a couple, like Taylor Walls, I will say I've been overall happy with him this season. I think he had a really rough stretch in like May and June. That's bringing down his, you know, his numbers. And you can't delete plate appearances. Those did happen. Um, but the rest of what he's done, he's looked great defensively, I think, after a shaky start. I think the numbers have backed it up too. And at the plate, He's never going to be an above average hitter. He might have one or two good years, uh, but he's 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 hitting kind of the way I was expecting him to, and I think that's good enough to be an everyday or almost an everyday big league player. 
Yeah, I actually just pulled up his Fangraphs page here. And um, in his last 145 plate appearances, so that's a good chunk, right? 145 plate appearances. He is a 98 WRC plus. And, um, you know, I, I think if before the season started, if I told you that he can play consistently and do that with the bat, given his, his great glove at short, uh, would you take it? I think most fans would have said yes. So, um, yeah, his play has been pretty good at a time where the Rays really needed it. And the strikeouts aren't crazy high. He draws his walks. He's got a few stolen bases. Um, I know, you know, the F4 is still really tough on him. He's like a negative half a win, but overall. B, B, B War loves him. Uh, okay. Mostly mostly because uh, F4 uses outs above average and okay. B War uses defensive run saved. And for some reason, he is like a huge disparity. Outs above average kind of hates him. Defensive run saves pretty much loves him. Um, I haven't really dug into all that exactly, but it's kind of interesting. I definitely think he is on the above average side of the spectrum though defensively I, at least I lately yeah i think it took him some time i think there was uh-huh. some like jitters to get through but i think he is he is really settled in and uh you know i still think he's better defensive shortstop than wander franco and i know when franco's back he's gonna be the shortstop i'm not entirely sure if that's the most baseball logical move but he's gonna be the shortstop. like that's right. that's that's and, kind of the way it goes and and Walls will still see plenty of time there. They'll give Franco many DH days as he's coming back off this injury and just off days in general. They'll they'll be careful with him and, and yeah. Walls Walls will get his starts down the down the stretch. And he's a great understudy. If God forbid anything else happens to Juan or Franco, to have him there, right. a guy that you can trust at shortstop. And that defense carries. You know, it's maybe not as valuable, but a good defensive player at shortstop would be a good defensive player at third base and second base. And so when he gets in the lineup. You know, I, th- I think the Rays will be in good, good hands. So uh, let's take one more quick break. And on the other side, Cole and I are going to raise our voices about the playoff race. We're going to talk about who we think will be left standing once the regular season is over. All right. And we're back on Raise Your Voice. We've talked about uh, pitching staff. We've talked about prospects. We kind of did a really big picture conversation about the Rays 40-man roster crunch that is upcoming this offseason. Uh, but they're also in the middle of a pennant race right now, and they just took two out of three from the Baltimore Orioles, which um, gave them some solid ground to stand on going into a series against the Yankees. Uh, but it's turning into some tight races in both the American and National League. So, Cole, I think uh, let's kind of go through and you know talk about where we think each race, how we think each race will end up. Um, I, I guess I'll start. We know the AL East, the Yankees will win that. The Houston Astros are going to win the American League West. I'm curious, though. I think Cleveland has got the talent to edge out Minnesota and win the Central. What are your thoughts on that division race? That's That one definitely is going to be the close one in the AL. And I, I think I'll go with the opposite. I think I'll go with the Twins on that one. Um, I like what they did at the deadline a lot. Uh, yeah. Fulmer, Lopez, and Molly, um, they got some pretty high-quality arms. And um, I think that just in general – I. I think that they might have a little more roster talent. Uh, Cleveland's really young, though, um, and they got they got a lot of exciting players over there. They definitely what they've done this year um, sh- shouldn't go unnoticed. But yeah, that that'll be a close one. What about the White Sox? They're also two and a half out. Do they make it interesting? Yeah. Do you think they they stay in that race till the end? They they probably will because you know they got some stars. Um, but I know they just lost Tim Anderson uh, for what might yeah. be the whole year. Um, you know that's a big blow. But yeah, I think I'll still take the Twins. But honestly, yeah, I could I could see it being kind of a cluster of three teams going on kind of pretty close to the finish there. Okay, so you've got the Twins, Astros, and Yankees winning the divisions. The Twins would be the the third seed there and playing. Um, what would be the, the three one of the three wild cards? So let's hear it. Who do you have finishing out 
the American League postseason picture in those wild card races. All right, you know, you might you might call me a, a homer or something here, but for wild card one, I'm I'm going with the Rays. I think that with the guys they got coming back um, and just how deep the team is, um, I think they got a good shot to to be in that that top seed when it's all said and done. Um, and I think right now they're only one and a half back, or only one back, or just one back, one yeah. back of Toronto. They've got some head to head against Toronto um, coming up, so I, I think they got a good shot there. I'll take them for the first wild card team, um, and then I think I'll go. Uh, I think I'll go Toronto and Seattle um, for the next two. Um, I might. I'm a, I'll go Seattle in the two spot, and then oh, Toronto okay. in the three. Yeah. So I, I think we actually had a podcast before the season started, and I, and I was talking about we were both talking about how we were a little bit lower on Toronto, and we weren't sure why they were getting all these World Series um, favorites, like people writing stuff like that. And um, don't get me wrong, I think they're a good team, but I just didn't really exactly see what where they were making the strides to be a great team. And um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm I'll, I'll put them as the uh, the sixth seed in the AL. I, I think uh, I, I'll have Toronto finishing wild card one. I think okay. um, they're still a very solid roster. They've dealt with some injury problems of their own, um, but still a very good team. I'll, I'll take the Rays as wild card two. I think as they get healthy, they'll they'll make some, you know, they'll pass Seattle and stay in second. And then I'll take uh, the Mariners. So I don't have any other teams sneaking in. I think we've got the same uh, three teams in the wild card spots, except I had Cleveland over Minnesota in the AL Central race. Um, yeah, I, I think the Rays, it, it, it's going to get dicey. It might still continue to get dicey. But, hey, they've won six out of their last ten, right? Like, it's still – they're still playing pretty good baseball. Um, Seattle, you know, you hope Julio Rodriguez is healthy, gets back in there, and they've got Ty France, who's been doing really well this year. Obviously, some really exciting young pitchers on top of, you know, Robbie Ray, who they brought in. Um, it's going to be fun to see them in a postseason series, and I think they'd have a pretty good chance – of, of beating a Cleveland or a Minnesota or whoever comes out of the central. If they're in that third wild card spot, they might struggle against, uh, you know, Toronto or Tampa Bay. Um, but if they're facing a division champion, I, I think they, they could have a pretty good chance if it's that, that central champion. I'm um, moving over to the national league. Um, the Dodgers look like they have the NL West locked up and the Mets have a five and a half game lead in the East. I guess I'll ask you first, Anybody catching the Mets now that they've got uh, Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer both back? Uh, yeah, it's probably going to be tough. I mean, the Phillies I'm seeing are 11 and a half back, so it doesn't look like they'll have a shot. But um, the Braves, I think they just played a big series against the Mets and dropped dropped that series. So that yeah. was kind of their opportunity right there. Um, I'm not sure how many more head-to-head matchups they have. But, yeah, it looks like the Mets have a, have a pretty good chance at that one. The Braves, the Braves have a good team, though. Uh, but they just look like they might be too far back to get him at this point. Yeah, Degrom has just, the Mets might be the best team in baseball. They're scary, gonna be scary um, in the playoffs. Um, I know the Yankees have gotten all the love, but I'm I'm still very high on Houston, and, and I'm, I'm pretty high on the Mets as well. Um, NL Central, St. Louis has a game and a half lead at the time of recording. You think Milwaukee catches them? I'll go with the Cardinals for this one. They got a couple hitters having like MVP years. Um, star years i think they got a deep lineup um they got some young guys they're mixing in now too um and nolan gorman uh, juan yepes and um you know some of those guys I, I like those hitters and i think they did enough at the deadline a couple pitchers i saw they added um quintana and montgomery so i think that they'll i think that they'll get the brewers but i bet it'll be close to the end yeah i'm, I'm thinking the same thing i i don't know like it's gonna be close but i i think the brewers have like now they got freddie peralta back once he gets settled in 
I, I'm really high on that Brewers pitching staff. I know they traded Josh Hader, but they still have a lot of good arms, both in the rotation and in the pen. I'm going to have the uh, the Brewers, the Brew Crew, taking the NL Central this year. Uh, let's go over to the wild card. Right now, as it stands, Atlanta's wild card one, then San Diego is five and a half behind them, then Philadelphia in the third spot. On the outside looking in, you've got San Francisco six games back and Milwaukee a game and a half back. Who do you see filling out those three wild card spots in the National League? I think um, I think the Braves being up six games seem pretty safe there. Um, I like their roster a lot, so I feel feel pretty comfortable with them. Um, and what the Padres did at the deadline and everything, I think that it's um, you know obviously the Tatis news is is uh, is, oh, yeah. is rough, but um, I think that they still did enough um, and, and they've got a good bunch <laughs> over there. At the deadline, <laughs> I think. Yeah, to <laughs> overcome that, just you know you lose one of the best players, you get another one, right? Uh, so. Um, and then for that final spot, the, um, the Phillies have it right now, but I'll say the Brewers get it, um, okay. over them. Yeah. I, I don't know if I'm, I'm too high on the Phillies roster and they've got a couple of, uh, a couple of interesting guys playing in, in different spots out there, but yeah. So yeah, I've got Atlanta and San Diego in it. I think it would be funny if San Diego collapsed, uh, but I, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, I even really like what Blake Snell's doing and their pitching staff right now. Um, so I'll, I'll have San Diego, getting, San Diego getting in and then I'll have, uh, St. Louis getting in over Philadelphia as well. I think whoever doesn't win that NL central race can still get in the postseason. Philadelphia. I know like with Bryce Harper out, I know that Zach Wheeler's having another really good season, but like that bullpen is still just not great. I don't know how they look one to nine. I, I like the Phillies and I like I have for the last few years and I like kind of what they've been doing, even with the, the lack of defensive awareness this year. But uh, I, I think whoever comes second in the NL central race, it'll be so close that they've won enough games to get into the wild card. So Agreed. I think we, we, we agreed on maybe all but one or one playoff team in terms of getting in and it was Cleveland or Minnesota. Um, so it, it, it seems like some of these races are all tied up, but, there's going to be some really meaningful baseball in September. The third wild card, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about the expanded postseason, but I like what it did at the deadline, and I also like the idea of these wild card teams. It's not like one of them will be eliminated after night one of the postseason, right? They get a three game series, which is still open to a ton of variance, but it feels like these teams have a little bit more of a chance once they make it to the dance. I like it. Yeah, I like what you you tied it into the deadline too. I think it might have like kind of raised uh, prices for starting pitching at the deadline. Um, yeah. You know, only getting three games. You know, you you need three good starters that you feel comfortable out. You know, or or maybe even two. Right? If you lose those first two, you're done. So you need to feel good about your starters. And um, you know, you saw the, like a massive haul for Luis Castillo and you know things like that happen. So yeah, I think it it's definitely affecting how these teams are thinking. And yeah, I'm I'm with you. I like it. All right, well, Cole, thank you very much for coming on and, and raising your voice tonight. Awesome. Thanks so much. Have me anytime, Brett. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of Raise Your Voice. If you like what we do on the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network, make sure to like, follow, or subscribe wherever you're getting your podcast. Leaving a rating and review on your preferred platform is the best way to spread what we do to more and more race fans. As always, make sure to head on over to DRaceBay.com to check out all of our great race coverage, including from Cole Mitchum. And once again, thank you guys for listening. I'll talk to you next week.